Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well met, fellow adventurers. Back to Proving Ground 6, The Elder Throne, Part 4, The Chasm of Time, Part 4, where we are now going to see... Just what it is, is that Uriel is going to do at the conclusion of the previous part. A low moan snaps your head in the direction of the black-bearded man, still lying at the foot of the boulder into which he was flung. He rises, rises his elbows and makes several he rises onto his elbows and makes several failed attempts to regain his feet before collapsing back onto the frozen ground. Moving across to ravine, stepping up around the bloodied remains of the slain wolves, her eyes fixed on a helpless man, is Uriel. You suddenly realise that the young spellcaster, trembling with fear, surrounded by the grim reminders of death, intends to avenge her brother. And now... As Uriel steps, steps towards the black-bearded man, he tries again to get up, but collapses onto the snowy ground with a painful rasp. The young spellcaster slowly raises her white hand, Realise that unless you act immediately, Uriel will undoubtedly kill the man who now lies at her mercy. A fateful decision. Inexplicably, you feel that your destiny may in some way be linked to the choice you're about to make. Chapter 1 
So. Hmm. So. I could just leave her to it. Leave her to her revenge. And that's what it is. He is... He's he's got no wolves. He's not got this. Well, he could get more though. And the thing is, I wouldn't, knowing how the chasm of time works, I wouldn't be around to help her again. But we do know from from the fact that she survived in the other timeline that she handles whatever it is that he does. Hmm. So he's not going to so he's not gonna actually kill her. So it is dust revenge. Tough choice. Although I'm am leaning towards leaning towards stopping her. I mean I mean if she was grown up I'd probably leave her to it, but she's ten. And as a, and I think I'm like, well people who are people who are children probably shouldn't, you know, have blood on their hands when they can avoid it. Or human blood off the wolves, yeah she would probably okay with that. But, hmm. And this is going to be a fateful choice. Very important. Hmm. I will use the power of fortification. Just to, just, just, I'm going to stop her just for a bit. I mean, if she wants to revenge later, I'd have, I'd be, I'd, I'd have gone to another time and place, and she'll be able to get it later. Or you know, go through the go through the courts. It's probably the proper procedure. Oh, I there are courts. Uh, okay, I'll use fortification. Just slow her down for a bit. If she really wants revenge. She can get it later. I will use fortification. It succeeded. Twenty-four experience to fortification. You call upon your power fortification, and without delay, a shimmering dome of blue sparkles appears over the fallen, black-bearded man. Startled, and seemingly shaken out of her previous mindset, the young spellcaster swiftly lowers her hand and takes several steps back. Yeah, it was a, sp- a spur-the-moment thing. You know, in the same way that, in the same way that when they change ovens to another type, suicide levels suddenly massively dropped. So there, because it was slightly more difficult to kill yourself. Okay. Here we are. What's Before you can act, Oreo turns and dashes off southward along the ice within. Once not not once looking looking back as she swiftly disappears from sight, behind a sudden swirling pile of snow. 
that blows into the gorge. I assume she's going back to her father. Which, yeah, put the, the best place there. She's going to go back to the father, return this amulet, mourn her brother. Without warning, a thick, swirling band of grey mist takes form just overhead and swiftly descends, rapidly enveloping you in a churning sea of death-tense fog. A powerful, disorientating sensation washes over you. The sense of disorientation slowly starts to fade, and as it does, the mist that envelops you begins to lift. As the fog dissipates, you're startled to find your wary gaze setting itself upon a scene entirely different from the one that confronted you only moments ago. They're coming. The familiar voice of a tall, frail woman standing to your left echoes along the wide stone corridor as she leans forward and spits on the floor. She tightens her grip on the long wooden staff, her long wooden staff and exhales. In the darkness of, of the passage, you can make out few details, save for the drooping hood cut save that a drooping hood covers her head, concealing her face in shadow. And they, and they're certainly expected. The low, soft, the low, soft, and, uh, and only somewhat familiar voice to your wife startles you. And you turn and set your gaze upon a tall, broad-shouldered man, his head and face also concealed by a large, dark hood. Consider Clutched in his mailed hands is a black-bladed longsword. Are you ready? As he turns in your direction, you suddenly realise that he's speaking to you. Despite an overwhelming sense of confusion and bewilderment at the scenario now unfolding, you feel you are somehow known to the pair that flanks you. A trusted member of the trio waits waiting with bated breath for something to appear out of the shadows at the end of the passage. You nod in response. Okay, I guess I've met these people in my future, but their past? As I said before, time travel is complicated. A sudden flash of fire from the end of the passage momentarily scatters the darkness, illuminating the full length of the gloomy corridor you're standing at one end of, revealing for a fleeting in instance the massive legion of Armatazal swift swiftly slivering towards you. Jimitha, when we're through this lot, get to the throne and place the coin upon it. This is the man on your right, his gaze focused on the advancing snake men. Dare not let your eyes linger on it. Your heart freezes and your pulse quickens as you immediately realise the woman on your left is Tomifa, the deadliest and most devout of the Iron Century Serpents and a sorceress who followed you into the chasm of time with the intention of trapping 
enslaving you beyond the bounds of your own reality. She struggled to come to terms with this astounding and perplexing turn of events, tried to determine which time and place he had been transported to. You're not talking to a fool, snaps Tamifa. The throne will not sit unguarded. Our friends here our friend here will come with me. You keep watch on the passage, but let's not get quite so ahead of ourselves. A chorus of shrill hisses turns all of your attention back to the approaching Tazor. Certain as to what lies ahead, and just what part part you will or should play in what is to come, you step forward with your newfound companions and prepare to engage the slivering horde. Okay, I guess this is before before she went totally bad because this time she's I'm fighting the armored Tazol with her rather than her sticking rather than her having having dozens of them fight me yeah so things are different now in the past as the first of the silver armor tassel slivers into melee range, the blade of the scimitar touching its clawed hands bursts into flame. Mid of the corridor, pressed between your two eyes, in battle, your two unflinching, embattered companions, you, you bravely engage the first of the reptilian swarms, an armored tassel. The vicious armoured reptilian slashes to with his flaming scimitar. Ah, keep fighting. Oh, you're engulfed by the flames if your enemies attacks. Surprise, surprise. And this one is slain. 39 XP. The next tussle immediately slithers forward, taking the place of its fallen brethren. You boldly attack. The arm the set the second of fifteen armor tassel. I'll just quick combat these. Another thirty-nine XP. Your vicious reptilian foe hisses for the final time before slumping to the floor of the passage and at last succumbing to death. The next Tazar immediately slivers forward, taking the place of its fallen brethren. It's the third one. And quick combat, 39 XP. The vicious reptilian hisses for a final time, for slumping to the floor of the passage, and at last succumbing to death. Now, the thing is, I think all these snakes, things are long. So they'd be really blocking the passage. But I guess, I guess you get tra trained in that. You get, you know how to navigate round all your dead companions when you join the armoured Tazor Legion of Doom or something like that. Here's the fourth, quick combat, 41 XP. The fifth, 41 XP. The sixth, 41 XP. The seventh, 41 XP. Just a bit of healing now. As, as, as I've said before, the cost of failure is great. 
Okay, and the eighth. That's more than half of them now. A little bit of healing. Nine. Ten. Heal, heal. Eleven. The next Tazar slithers forward, taking the place of its fallen brethren. Quick combat this one. Quick combat this armored Tazar. Twelve. Thirteen. Thirteen. Unlucky for that one, obviously. Not for me, because it's dead. The fourteenth. Forty-two. Fifteenth. The last of them. Forty-one XP for that one. Hmm. How, 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 that one's less than the previous one. I guess it was on the edge. So it rounded differently this time. 1,024 experience up to general. Alright. The Atazor Legion has been vanquished. The bloodied remains of the cruel reptilians. Lasting evidence of the vi violent but efficient handiwork of you and your hooded companions lie strewn along the passage. As you step over the armoured and moving body of your last foe, Tuminfer arrives at your side, grabs hold of your arm. The, the grobe sorceress, her head and face still concealed beneath her drooping hood, points her staff towards the far end of the corridor. Let's go, she cries, turning and motioning for your other companion to follow. The hooded man finishes wiping the blade of his long sword on the sea, his sleeve and nods. Together, the three of you rush along the darkened passage. After less than 50 yards, the passage intersects with a wider corridor. On the opposite side of the corridor, of the new passage, new passage, the corridor along which you've been moving continues for over a dozen yards, avoiding a tall iron door. You wait here, says Timifra, turning to look at the hooded man. The rest of them will know what has happened. We don't need any surprises. Place the coin upon it and get out of here, he says, without acknowledging her directives. Don't gaze long upon the foe. Don't linger near it. My littlest brother, always so cautious, said the hooded sorceress, a hint of mirth in her voice, unlike anything you've heard in, heard in her previous encounters. We'll be back here before, before you know we're gone. Hold, hold them for as long as you can. Of course, my lady, he says, mock, mockingly dipping into a bow. Don't linger. As the hooded man steps back into the mouth of the passage, moving himself out of the intersection, you and Tamifra stride across the new corridor and up to the iron door. The weighty iron slab that ne nearly fills the entirety of the corridor has no visible hilches, hinges or, or, or latch. As your eyes scour its tarnished surface, is suddenly taken aback by the discovery of an image engraved on one of its thick panels. As Tamifra digs into her pouch, dangling from the thick length of the rope that encircles her weight, you step forward and examine the engraved image. The, image. the carving depicts seven small stars above an island that rising out 
out of the mist of a raging sea. He immediately recognized engravings identical to, to those which adorn the platinum and star coins you're carrying. Particular item may be of use here. I guess it's the time to use those coins again. They seem to be, whatever they, they seem to be the key to these things. Uh, presumably they were made by the order of which the seer is part of. In order to counter the unseen, an unnamed evil that just wants to mess with time and erase this existence. And you know what? I don't want this existence to be erased. It's where I keep all my stuff. And also I'll die. It will not exist. And I like existing. You can eat pies. And pet dogs. And do other things when you exist. When you stop existing, you can't do that stuff. Using these platinum and star coins. You. 64 XP to general. You draw out one of the platinum and star coins and hold it up to the door. Almost at once, once the small coin begins to glow, bathing your hand and its face in its lurid silver luminescence. Suddenly, the sound of metal grating on metal fills the passage and you instinctively step back as the tall iron door shudders and then slowly rises, disappearing into a hidden pot pocket in the ceiling. Tamifra, clutching a coin identical to yours, quickly places it in places it back in her pouch at her side. Didn't know you had one of those, she says, her voice voice trailing off as she bursts into a violent fit of cough. By the time the brief episode has subsided, there's nearly there's nearly a four foot gap between the door and the floor of the passage. Without further delay, following the sorcerer's head, you duck, duck under the rising slab of iron and, and step into the small, dark chamber. For a moment, you stand in silence, surrounded by darkness. Just beyond the threshold of the chamber, behind the iron door, for a loud clang and a reverberating rumble that passes through, through the floor and into your feet. The heavy slab of metal disappears completely into, into a, its hidden pocket overhead. It's here. A dot of yellow light appears at the end of Timothy's staff and flares blindly, fully illuminating the tall, small circular chamber. Your eyes are instinctively drawn to the centre of the room, where a marred iron slab is set into the thick stone blocks that make up the floor, immediately reminded of an eerily similar discover you made in the Jacket Hills region on Sangard Isle. You clearly recall the discovery. You cautiously step through the open stone portal and into the circular chamber that once lay hidden, hidden behind it. Broad, smooth sheets of metal cover the, the curved walls of the, of the room, rising to meet the plated iron ceiling nearly 20 feet overhead. A tall, 
pedest stone pedestal stands in the centre of the room, the wide flat top of which bears an elaborate engraving of, of San Guard Isle. Behind the pedestal, set into thick blocks of stone, the makeup make up the floor is the marred iron slab. You're about to step forward and examine the pedestal, when suddenly the entire chamber shudders and a loud rumble fills the air. You stand back and watch in amazement as the heavy iron slab slides back into the floor, revealing a dark opening. Out of this opening, slowly and steadily, rises a large and ornate wooden throne. It is cut, it is cut. You cautiously examine the elaborate phone, discover it is made out of ash wood. The elaborate, elaborate iron inlays decorate the arms and sides of the grand chair and serve to give it a majestic, if somewhat sinister, appearance. Your thoughts turn to the present, and you find Timifra scooped, stooped down at the edge of the marred iron slab, her fingers running across its cold, placid surface. As you reach her side, the entire, entire chamber shudders, and a low rumble fills the air. You step back and watch as the heavy seat of iron slides back into the floor, revealing a dark opening. Up through this opening, slowly and steadily, repeating the very scene you witnessed in a, another time and place, rises a large and ornate wooden throne. Timifra steps back and leans against her staff as the throne continues to rise through the floor. In the base of the grand chair, here is at level with the stone blocks upon which it will rest. The sound of grating metal fills the chamber, and the rising throne slows to a halt. Alder, she says. The throne is of Alder, and so here it is, at last. Like the ashen throne you previously encountered, the arms, arms and sides of this magnificent chair are adorned with elaborate, adorned with elaborate iron in iron inlays. Perhaps my brother should see this, she says, tapping the butt of her staff against the floor. Though you cannot see her face, it is obvious her gaze is fixed. Fixed on the older foe. My dear friend, would you fetch my brother? He turns to at last lay his eyes upon this before we destroy it. Mm, no. I don't think... I don't think she she had she wants him to see the throne. I think she wants to be left alone with it and gain access to its incredible power over time itself. And admittedly, that I understand the temptation. I mean, who doesn't want to travel in time and fix what once was brought? And fix what was broken and see cool stuff and bring back the people who you lost. Yes. 
Suddenly, Tabithra spins round and casts off her hood, revealing her youthful cloth masked face. Just below her intense green eyes, the bottom of her chin, the young sorceress's face is concealed behind a thin black cloth veil. Her lengthy raven hair stumbles down across her slender shoulders in a tangle of matted locks. For a fleeting moment, her eyes reflect the yellow glow emanating from the tip of her staff. Humilia and Willith are white, she, she growls, while slam, slamming the butt of her staff into the, into the floor, misguiding the crop who they be. What arrogance we have, dis, we have displayed to ignore their wisdom. We would destroy this. We would rid ourselves of the only force that might undo our folly. This seat, dear friend, is a power beyond reckoning. We'll use it to set set things right. All things. Forever. Oh dear, oh dear. I think she's been... I think the chair has got to her. Whispering... Whispering things of power and glory and control. Although she won't be the one in control, it will be the chair or whatever nameless force is behind the chair. Without warning, Timothy steps towards the great chair. You immediately realise the young sorceress has no intention of destroying the throne. She intends to taste take her place upon it inexplicably you feel your destiny may in some way be linked to the choice you're about to make hmm. so I could attempt to stop her or allow her to sit on the throne now, as I said before anyone seated upon one of these thrones is an in is an enemy and a, and a tool of the en- of the enemy that wishes to destroy our world past present and future of it i could allow her to sit on the throne and doom herself or i can attempt to stop her i will attempt to stop her sensing that it may prove disastrous if tomifra sits upon the throne you leap into action Determined to see she does not. Oh, yeah. So, I can use illusion, gating, or telekinesis. But, oh, actually, I can't. Because they have to be at level 80 plus. And I don't think I've ever got them to level 80. Across several characters. Well, actually, I've got telekinesis to level 80. But that's only because I got a special package that raised one of the powers to level 100. But other than that, none of them have reached level 100. So I could either attack her, or attack her. Really? I think. Yeah, don't really want to attack her. I think she's just temporarily being enamoured by the incredible power of these chairs. 
No, I'm going to attempt to reach the throne before her. You quickly retrieve a gold token for your money pouch and cast it across the chamber. The coin strikes the far wall and drops to the floor with an echoing clatter. A sound that promptly, promptly grabs the attention of Jennifer. Your money pouch is one gold token lighter, and I am not going to get. And I am not going to get the coin to retrieve it. With her, ha with her hand put momentarily in a motor and he turned, he rushed forward, desperately attempting to reach the throne. In a few fleeting seconds, her eyes are focused elsewhere. Pick a number. Bonus of 59. 20 from agility, 10 from body, 10 from luck, and 19 from thievery. Going to get 75 or more. Pick now. Success. 148. You reach the base of the throne and spin around to face Tamifra. Your, your, your sudden appearance before the grand chair has frozen the masked sorceress in mid-step. Her, her, her eyes narrow and she fixes her narrow gaze upon you. Oh dear, oh dear, I don't think she likes that. Suddenly, a low rumble fills the air. You look at the elder throne and are shocked to find the great chair is swiftly sinking back into the floor. Behind you, Chamifka shrieks with rage as her staff bursts into flame. The chamber, filling the chamber with its wild, flickering light. In seconds, the throne will be gone. You recall the words the hooded, the hooded swordsman, Tamifra called her brother, and his instruction to place the coin upon it and get out of there. Fateful decision. Inexplicably, you feel your destiny may in some way be linked to the choice you're about to make. Place a platinum star upon the throne, which what I'm supposed to do, because... Apparently, these stars are the only things that can destroy these thrones, because they are, because time, things. I shall place a plasmoon star upon the throne. I could decide against it, but I think that would make mean the throne as give the throne more chances to corrupt more people. No. The coin must be used. Leaning down over the sinking elder throne, you place one of your platinum coins on the seat. A bright white light momentarily envelops both the coin and the throne, but but the glow quickly fades. To only a few few more seconds, the throne sinks beneath the floor, and the marred iron slabs slides back across cross and covers the dark opening. Okay, oh dear, I hope. Hmm. Okay, that, that throne isn't gone. Don't think it's enough. Not on their own. Mm. What have you done? You fool! Tamifka charges past you, drops to her knees at the edge of the iron slab. She strikes the unyielding barrier several times with her fists before striking her head against it. The soft, eerie sound 
before resting her head against it. The soft, eerie sound of her unexpected sobs was quickly drowned out with a desperate cry coming from the passage outside. They're coming! Get out of there! Get out of here! Do not linger in, in there! Suddenly, a bright white light envelops the sorceress. For a moment, you're forced to shield your eyes and turn turn away from the blinding spectacle. Seconds later, you look back at the centre of the chamber. You're shocked to find no sign of Tamifra. Preparing to confront whatever has prompted the cry, you charge out of the corridor. You find the hooded swordsman standing on the standing in the corner of the intersecting passages, facing the far end of the of of the wider corridor, though his stance is relaxed, you sense he is uneasy about something. As you approach, she turns to face you and immediately inquires about Tamifka. She is lost then, he says, coldly. She relates to him. Relates to him what happened. What happens happens in the in the throne chamber. Did you place did you place a coin on the throne? Your unknown companion nods. Hope yet lives, he says, once again turning to look down the passage. Though we have not by any means seen the last of her. Both of my sisters will be at my brother's side. Unless you well know they are coming. A violent tremor shakes your passage, and the hooded swordsman leaps, leaps into your, leaps, back to stand at your side. As you both fix your gaze upon the tall corridor. There, emerging from the wall, wall of gloom that obscures the end of the passage, is an all too familiar sight. Stomping into view. Their every footfall shaking the floor beneath your feet are three massive stone and iron constructs. There are more behind them. There must be a dozen of them, shouts the hooded man, raising his black-bladed sword and drawing himself into a combat-ready stance. This is what he has come to. I'm more than willing to face defeat at your side, old friend. By the old father. This isn't what was supposed to be. Suddenly, the advancing constructs halt. A tall, frail, chain-clad young man. His slender face concealed behind a black cloth mask, similar to the one worn by Tamifra, steps into view. He strides in, strides into ten yards of your permission and stops. And again, you find yourself alone. He says, addressing the hooded swordsman at your at your side, with a thin but unwavering voice. The last of your protectors has abandoned you. Though I see you retain at least one ally, however impotent, a true friend who will first witness and who will first witness, and then then share your demise. Less, less. They can convince you this has gone on long enough. Your pulse races and, and two masked grass women step into view from behind 
and foremost of the towering constructs, and stride towards the frail, chain-clad man. You immediately recognise both Tamifra and Tamira. Tamira. It's Tamira. Tamifra and Humlea. It's Tamifra who speaks. And the first semi-muffled words to escape her concealed lips shock you to the core. Mezabak, you've heard Wheelif. Now you need now only need to listen to me. Oh, that's Mezabak. Ah. So. So he didn't didn't get fall to the allure of these thrones and was trying to stop them before they utterly mess up time and make Relef into the Grand Century. Yes, so Mazabak, if not... If not an angel himself, is at least on the side of angels. Anyway, this finishes this scenario with 3,072 experience to general and 256 experience to all skills and powers. We're getting, quite, we're getting lots of experience for these things. Especially considering I've had dozen, I've had more than a dozen scenarios, each giving huge rewards like that. Alright, please continue. Okay, and that moves us on to the Chasm of Time, Part 5, Four Against the World. Alright, begin it. The present, two days ago, in a time and place as, as has ever been on your mind since you departed from it, on top of the southernmost of Sarngard Keep's four grand towers, a lone figure, her elbows resting, resting on the rocky parapet, and her fingers clutching its, its outer edge. Sighs as she continues to stare out across the landscape. As she cross, cross the landscape, across which the gloomy blanket of dusk is slowly being draped. The, the sound of the sound of footfalls, and the direction of the stairwell at her back startles her, and she promptly turns to see what has approached. Approaches to disturb a solemn vigil. The sudden appearance of a tall, broad shouldered figure filling the arch at the top, the top of, top of the stairs, produces a moment of obvious tension, a moment that readily resolves itself as the figure fully steps into view. Swiftly composing herself, Telebra bows deeply before Thane Mazenbach. He for whom you await should consider himself fortunate to know such friendship. Ah, so Mazenbach knows of my mission. 
and he knows that Timifka knows, and he says, stepping to the low wall, stepping to the low wall of the battlement, and placing his hand on the warm surface of the power pad. I believe you may at least take comfort in knowing that whatever happens, however it will be when this is over, is how it was always supposed to have been. Many years ago, in a small village somewhere in Tysa, Nuenar Taimok slipped quietly at the lukewarm mug of, pa of Palo, clutched in his in his thick hands and stared out at the frosty flat ground that ran down from his door spilled across the stony stony path and poured onto Southleaf's main road the pre-dawn darkness served to some served to somewhat temper his anxious anxiousness for it was and always had been his favourite time of day. Still, as he put down his wooden mug and leaned over to, to drape, to strap one of the pair of knives to the inside of his inside of his leg, he knew that that darkness would play no role only in what lay before him this day. It would be light by the time he reached the old oak hollow bell, and those he would encounter there knew he was coming. He lifted he lifted a sturdy belt off the back of a chair and swiftly fitted it around his waist. Before a long, the long yawn, he took hold of a long, a long sword that lay across the table behind him. He held it at arm's length to examine the blade and thrust the weapon into its worn scabbard. Then slowly, as though he dreaded the task, he stepped over to a, to a shelf by the door and picked up a red cloth bag. Inside the bag, the seams of which were stitched with bright golden thread, were the three books he had taken from the dying man in the forest south of Twiffic more than a year ago. The three books he wished he had never fallen coming into possession of. Oh, it's those journals. Those journals that that mean that, that mean that lead to naught but ill until they are destroyed. For a moment he considered opening the bag and looking inside, but he immediately discarded the notion. He had seen enough of the books and I had on several occasions even dared to pursue their pages. But he could make no sense of the symbols scrawled across their ancient pages. The, book, the books were nothing he cared. He cared again to set his eyes upon, and he took comfort, knowing he would soon be rid of them. A sudden sense of calm come came over the middle-aged former soldier as he realised, not for the first time, for better or worse, worse, all of this would be over by midday. Or went according to plan, 
The books will be at the hands of Tarlafum and his debt to the old man, a man whose dangerous reputation was well earned, would be paid. With any luck, look, Nunanar thought, we will be home before dusk without the books, at last free of their powerless obligation, having no desire to prolong his departure. He, he, he reached to push open the door, and, and as his hand planted itself on the worn timbers, he turned and looked back at the, at the black, darkened doorway on the opposite wall. In that small room at the back of his house, his wife and four children were asleep. He'll be fine until he returned. For a moment, thought he heard someone stirring. Gnawing the sound, he pushed open the door and stepped out into the bitter chill of the late autumn evening. As he strolled down to the edge of the road, he silently vowed he would return, no matter what awaited him in Hollow. At the conclusion of the previous part, you find the, the hooded hooded swordsman standing in the middle of the intersecting passage, facing the far end of the corridor. He stands as relaxed. You sense he is uneasy about something. As you approach, he turns to face you and immediately inquires about Tamifka. She is lost then, he says coldly, as, as you quickly relate to him what happened in the throne chamber. Did you place a coin on the throne? Your unknown companion nods. Hope yet lives, he says, once again turning to look down the passage. We have not, by any means, seen the last of her. That, like both my sisters, be at my brother's side. Uh, as you well know. And they are coming. A violent shemash. Tremor shakes the passage, and your hooded swords, hooded swordsman steps back. Max, stand at your side as you both fix your gaze. The broad corridor there, emerging from a wall of gloom that obscures the end of the passage, is an all too familiar sight. Stomping into view, their every footfall shaking, shaking the floor beneath your feet are three. Massive, stone and iron constructs. There are more behind them. There must be a dozen of them, shouts the hooded man, raising his black-bladed sword and drawing himself for combat where he stands. If this is what it has come to, I'm more than willing to face defeat at your side, old friend. But by the old father, this isn't what was supposed to be. Suddenly, the advancing constructs halt. A short, frail, chain-clad young man. His, his slender face concealed behind a black cloth mask. Steps into one, similar to the one worn by Timifka, steps into view. He strides to within ten yards of your position and stops. You again 
find yourself alone, he says, addressing the hooded swordsman at your side with a thin but wavering voice. But unwavering voice. The last of your protectors has abandoned you. Though I see you retain at least one ally, however impotent. A true friend who will first witness and then share your demise. Unless, unless they convince you this has gone on long enough. It pulls races as, as two masked women step into view from behind the foremost of the towering constructs and strides towards strides forward to flank the fla- the flail chain-clad man. You immediately recognise both Tomifra and Muna. It, it is Tomifra who speaks, and the, and the first semi-muffled words to escape her to escape her concealed lips. Knock, knock you, shock you to the core. Amazing back. You've heard well, F. Now you need to hear me. And now. Don't coddle him. Timifra's icy tone echoes along the passage as she, think, as she steps in front of her siblings and levels an accusatory finger at Tazabank. You might have been the first to decipher the book. And long did we... And long did we look to you to lead us, but no longer. You were content to learn its secrets yourself, with no regard for the rest of us. Unless you forget my brother. Unless you forget, brother. It's always the four of us against the world. Ooh, more credits. Humbly gestures to the mask covering her face. Timifra. A waving gaze set set back firmly to her sister moves moves in front of Humelia and holds her hands in a welcoming gesture. Standing my younger brother, I am the oldest. I bl- I bear the blame for letting you slip from our fold, she says. A gaze somewhat muffled by the mask that hides her face. Let not this senseless quarrelling be the end of our bond. You cannot know. Know what I was. What I felt when I was in the presence of the throne, Mesembank. Well, if has been right, we must not foolishly ignore. Mesembank throws back his hood. Hood. Revealing a, a tangle of tangle of dark hair and a face concealed by a dark by a simple cloth mask. He shakes his head and points points the tip of his blade towards Relef. You led them down your own dark path, he snarls. The book holds two secrets. One more easily gained from its set passages, and more perilous by far. You know this, Willif. Know it was meant for our eyes. And here we stand, 
a testament to the cruel folly we have danced around for so long. Can you not see, Renneth? It is not too late. Give me the book and be done with it. We can have our revenge another way. Will you stop at the nothing to keep me forever under your guiding wing? Clark got Christ the frail, chain-clad young man. Motioning with his left hand to his two sisters to fall by his side. You stole the book, devoured its secrets, and would deny me the same. A, pa- a father paid with his life for your defiance. And I dare say we, the four of us, have paid a far more onerous price. You need only peer at your reflection to see that. Book thrown. All of this has fallen at our feet and we can use them to go back and change everything. Do you do you know it yet? Would you deny it to me? To us? Do you not want to be rid of the curse? Do you not seek to avenge your father? To avenge the cruelty visited upon the four of us? You, my dear brother, my dear older brother, that is, bear, bear the least of the hit of our hideous gerson. But even you dare not remove your mast, for you look no less a beast. With a slow, deliberate motion, the young man facing you from from across the, the shadowy corridor, reaches up and pulls down the black cloth mask that reveals his face. The fleeting, nightmarish vision, a vision of a human countenance, complacent, youthful, but horribly disfigured, fused you with sudden and profound horror. You were thought recoiling shock at the full sight of his face. From the lower portion of, of, of his nose to near to nearly the tip of his chin, the enlarged shapen grotesque features that dominate and distort his slender face made Relief a hideous, monstrous appearance, though taken aback by by the sudden and, and profound sever, severity of his facial deformity, he suddenly realised that, that a similar disfigurement must affect must affect the faces of his three siblings, Humlea, Timifra, and Mazabak. Without warning, a thick, swirling band of grey mist takes form just overhead and swiftly descends, rapidly enveloping you in a churning sea of dense fog. A powerful, disorientating sensation washes over you. You sent you. The sense of disorientation slowly starts to fade, and as it does, the mist that envelops you begins to lift, 
That's the got that's the bold fades. You're starting to find your wearing gaze. Gaze settling itself upon a scene entirely different from the one that confronted you only moments ago. Standing at the edge of a tangled thicket of fall, at the base of a stony slope that runs up to the board, to a broad stone forest, you watch as three young children make their way into a into a large clearing in the east. The two girls and a smaller boy move move past your location. Completely oblivious to your presence, you suddenly realize you're looking at Timifika, Humalaya, and a boy you assume to be Wayleth. Timifika, the oldest of the oldest of the trio, appears to be no older than ten. As you reach thick undergrowth that borders the clearing, they halt. Halt. Himalaya attempts to say something, but her sister holds up her hand and her hand and fixes her with a wavering glance. There he is, he says, frowning as she folds her arms across her chest. Hurry up, Mas. We've been waiting long enough. We'll find Father in a bad humour if we're not back before he is. Have you got any rabbits to show for it all? The lad, not quite as old as his sisters, grew young, grew older than the smaller boy, steps out of the clearing and into view. To view. As you gaze upon him, as your gaze arrives on this on the new arrival, you realise you are you are looking at the man you know from your own time as Thane Mazenbeck. A what must be eight eight or nine years of age. Dame Mazabak shakes his head as a sly, impish grin spreads across his face. The youth reaches up under his tunic and he draws a small, leather-bound book. He holds it up and his grin broadens, eliciting snickers from Hunif and Wayneth. You took that again? Kutumif Gowls shakes his head. You weren't fetching rabbits, as Rubber asked. You were looking at the book. You were told to keep away from those. Quietly, you shift your position in an attempt to get a better look at the young Mezabak and his book. A strange feeling comes over you. As your eyes fall upon the leather-bound book, clutched tightly in his small hands. The very journal you discovered in your own time. 
hidden beneath the floor of Five Knots Inn in Mixville. Intrigued by the revelation, you furtively search through your belongings for the journal. Eager to see if you still possess that's it then. Then, suddenly, you recall books were left with Kyleff in, in the shadowy confines of the chamber beneath the streets of Carter. For a fleeting moment, your thoughts bear, your thoughts turn back to your encounter with the mysterious seer. The seer reaches, reaches down, down, reaches down below the table. And picks up a small, worn, never-bound book which she hands to you. You do well to keep this with you and exchange it for the journal, she says. Harming the child is not foreseen, so you need not fret over it. You must destroy the journal, Zoop. From that point, there can be no compromise. Timothy steps backwards and tries to snatch the book from her brother. The young Mesbach, still grinning, dodges, dodges her, and tosses the journal to Wayleth. You may feel not. Wayleth Timwok! Snaps to Mithra, turning to face her young brother. Give that to me! Father told us not to even touch it! Give it to me now! And I won't have to, I won't tell him you've had it! Young boy falls back several steps, apparently fearful of his sister's formidable reach, and hides hides the book beneath his lengthy tunic. Amelia reminds the four they need to soon head for home. Keep it then, says Tamifka, striding back in the direction of the road. Really rather not lame Really why? I'd really rather not lay hands on it. I'm sure father might take a stick to you over it. The sound of distant foot hoofbeats growing steadily growing nearer rides into the air and serves to crush crush the playful bickling. Mazenbach calls calls after Willef Willef and, and Moves over to Timifra and the others, the four children standing in plain sight of the road, watching silence as a lone rider draws into view. Who's this rider? The rider, an old, frail, balding man, with thin wisps of white hair blowing in his blowing in the breeze, breeze, pulls back on the reins and halts his horse less than a dozen yards from where four children stand. Mesenbach with bravado only moments ago earned him the humorous admiration of the other. Now Steins stands with now stands with Humania and Welleth just behind Timifa. The elderly and turns and salutes the children with a friend, friendly wave. I bid you good morning, he says, smiling. It's a town of 
I'm not sent very, very far along this way. Tamifra shakes her head and points along the road in the direction the man was heading. Only illegal, so, she says. The man places his hand on his chest and bows from the saddle. Would you, and you might be so kind as to tell me the name? No, if you know of, of it. Know of anyone bearing the name Time Look? Oh, there they are. They are, I've come to understand, quite a brood of them. The expression on Timothy's face has not changed, though you sense she has drawn onto every last reserve of her composure to affect perceived disinterest. The eldest daughter of Nulimar Timelock shakes his hand. You've been kind, replies. Replies the only man as, as he flicks the reins of his horse in a fair shot. And bid you and your companions a fair warning. Be well. Why didn't you tell him we were, we were Timelocks? When if when if steps steps toward steps around under Mephia and looks up at her looks at her her sister's eyes and those of the two think two siblings are still fixed on the taunting gaze of, of its rider. Ignoring Wayliff, Timifia spins and spins Spins round and, and grabs Mazabat by the shoulders. We've got to get home now. We've got to get home now, she says. As a wild, frightened look creeps upon Grace. We can get there faster than that, that horse if we cut straight across the swamp. Why? Who was that? Mazabat's second question echo. Echoes, echoes the one that comes to to your mind when you set your eyes upon the elderly man. I don't know, she says, hurriedly, pointing to Mithya. You and Wayleth follow us. Maz and I will go ahead. Don't worry if we get too hot far ahead. Just go straight home. We've got to get there and tell Mother. What is it? persists Mazabak. Throwing his hands into the air and shaking his hands. Why are you acting this way? Shaking his head, that is. For a moment, Timifra pauses and covers her face with her hands as she's struggling to collect her thoughts. Did you not see what was tied to his belt? Did you not see it? She asks, looking first to her. Both to his sister and then to the others. Only Mazabat responds. Quickly shook his head. Father's red bags. Bag. It's not like There's not another like it. He's got father's books. As the, chil- the children hurriedly prepared to depart, driven to action by Timothy's suddenly re- revelation. Mazenbach suddenly turns and washes back towards the clearing. Yumifra calls after him. 
Wash, the washing youth slumps over his shoulder. And he's just going to fetch something he's forgotten. Realising at once the opportunity for which you've been waiting may have presented itself. You move from behind the copse that you've kept hidden and slip towards the clearing. Just as you've arrived at the edge of the clearing, Mazenpab appears out of the undergrowth, carrying a pair of dead rabbits, bound together by their feet by a stout length of rope, freezes at the sight of you, and then, then takes a step backwards. Wasting no time, you draw out the worn, leather-bound book that was given to you by Clareth. Hold out the book to Talith, tell him you must... Tell him you must have the book he is carrying. A confused, fearsome look trots over his face for a moment. He says nothing. Then in a low whisper, low, in a soft, low voice, he speaks. I don't have it, he said. Very, very instant. Very instant, it's quite excellent. You clearly recall he tossed the book to wear it. Journal is still in possession of his younger brother. Without warning, without warning, a throwing grey band of mist takes form just overhead and swiftly descends, rapidly enveloping you. A churning mist of dense fog. Fearful that any moment you'll be transported to another time. You draw out one of your plasma gold star coins and hold it to him. In a firm and unthreatening tone, tell him to take it. Much to your surprise, he reaches out and does just that. As quickly and clearly as, as you can, you teach him to remember you and to keep the coin safe. To never again look upon the pages of the book now held by his father. You tell him, tell him not to return home tonight. To convince his brothers and sisters to do the same. You tell him there is no time to explain any of it. That he needs that he needs to trust you, and that he will likely see you again. Then, without giving his action a second thought, you toss the leather book given to you by Carliff onto the ground at his feet. You are now no longer carrying the worn leather bound book. And a powerful, disorientating sensation washes over you. You repeat yourself to him, making him promise that he will not forget anything. He, he, he says nothing, but, but slowly nods his response. The sense of disorientation starts to fade. As it does, the sense of mist that envelops you begins to lift. As the fog dissipates, you're startled to find your wary gaze setting itself upon us on a scene entirely different from the one that confronted you only moments ago. Yeah. Broad, broad-shouldered young man standing at arm's length ahead of you stumbles back towards the mouth of the cave as the uneven floor beneath your feet again shudders. Another gate opens, he says, turning as he draws his sword. The throne has risen! They will be coming!
Dang it, your side. Perhaps no. Perhaps a dozen, dozen years older when you've last met him. To your mind, it was only moments ago. Is Mazenbach. Unmasked, with only a small scar on his chin to my his countenance. The, ma the man standing behind you is, stri is strikingly opposed to the mysterious figure. You know from your own time as a powerful and influential fate. Your eyes are suddenly drawn to Mazabout's fight last wing with white whisk. There Dangling from a thick chain that circles his wrist is the plasmon coin you gave him. Uh, how many coins do I have left now? I only have five coins left now. I'll go for the throne, he stands. That's gazing at you, seemingly taking note of your interest in and the coin dangling from his wrist. You're to wait here and hold them off as long as you can. I only pray that Tamufa and the others thus far found found as much luck. They haven't. We might have quite we might, might have quite a height on our hand hand before we're through. Okay. So you know what? That's so that's that's prop. Well, we're at, we're at an hour and a quarter now, so that should be enough. So I've met. So this is what this is what has happened so far. I met. I met the four, the four Timulux sibling. Met the tall Timluk siblings in the future where they were trying to destroy the throne, but it, turned, it, it was going badly. Badly, as only Thane Mazin. As apparently they looked too deeply into that book and. And Raylef and two sisters had been completely and were completely fallen into their dark future paths. And Thane Mazabak was trying to help, but apparently he had also looked at the book and had also become distorted, but not as much. And then I went back in time. And advise them, don't look at the books. Use this one. And so, apparently, th this history has been changed for the four siblings. But exactly how it has changed, we will find out next time. Because this has been going a bit weird. We're now what, more than an hour and a quarter in, and there's still a lot more to go with these four siblings. So, so for now, I'm going to leave you.
over now, farewell, fellow adventurers. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.